it shifted. The negative coping mechanism started to turn into positive where they were able to communicate their feelings and the classroom space just transformed into um, not this space of me trying to hold the walls together, hold back, you know, a chair being thrown at me. It was rather just a space that we could come and learn and be, be with each other and be seen. I'm Brandon Dawson and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. People sometimes ask me how we find and select the guests for The Distiller, and I usually tell them it's some combination of A, people I have come across in daily life, B, people I already knew for some reason, or C, people that friends or other guests or listeners suggest. But there does seem to be one reliable place to find guests or maybe one way to guarantee we're going to hit you up for an interview, and that is to win a People's Liberty grant. If you have listened to The Distiller for long, you've heard about People's Liberty before. It's a project that provides grants of various types to individuals and groups doing work to foster and create community and connection in Cincinnati. And we have featured People's Liberty several times. In episode eight, originally, we talked to People's Liberty Program Director Megan Trischler. Uh, in Episode 9, we spoke with grantee and dancer Julius Jenkins. I did speak with Ruya Coffee founder and People's Liberty grantee Melis Idawan on Episode 23. And even though we didn't actually spend a ton of time on it, in fact, I'm not even sure we mentioned it during the episode, filmmaker Yemi Oyedaran, who I spoke with on Episode 30, was also a People's Liberty grantee. And that's actually where Yemi and I first met. Well, The five-year Hale Foundation grant that funds People's Liberty is coming to an end, and my guest for this episode is the final People's Liberty grantee and STEM or STEAM educator Allison Lester, who, along with her grantee partner Noah Glazier, created the digital playscape in the People's Liberty Globefront building in Over the Rhine in Cincinnati. We've said so much about People's Liberty over the history of the show, so I won't go too deep into what it is or the wonderful work they're doing here, except to say, if you don't already know what People's Liberty is or has been, you owe it to yourself to read their amazing story. Stop by their space just off Finley Market in Cincinnati, or visit their website and read the stories, and you can find links and more information on our website at thedistillerpodcast.com. And now, To our guest, when I first met Allison Lester, she was on the sidewalk outside People's Liberty, dressed in a flowered shirt with glitter in her hair, throwing paint on the sidewalk as she decorated a hopscotch grid. We shook hands, and I had paint on my my hands the rest of the day. Allison is the physical embodiment of the joy of learning. She is a teacher, a STEM educator, a researcher, and a force of nature. And of course, she is one of the founders of the Digital Playscape. Rather than say too much more, I really want to let Allison explain it all herself, because she has a wonderful story worthy, frankly, of a movie script. And I will say this, part of the experience of Allison's work is that unique combination of of place and engagement. And the best way to see all of that is to see what she and Noah created in the digital playscape, or as she called it, the power of hopscotch. Check out Kyle Wolf's wonderful pictures for this episode on our website as you listen and see the murals on the walls, the vibrant colors, the words on the floors, and of course, the postmodern campfire we were sitting over top of as we spoke. It's all part of the experience. And with that, here is my conversation with STEM educator and People's Liberty grantee and Digital Playscape founder, Allison Lester, on The Distiller. Let's do it. Good morning. Good morning. And and cheers. 
Cheers. Thanks for joining me in this wonderful space that you have created. Thank you. Thank you for being in the digital space. Are we on? We is are it? on. Oh. It, it's happening. You're, <laughs> yeah. You're soaking in it. This is it. This is what it feels like. Woo. Uh, welcome to the Digital Playscape. Thank you. It's so cool to be here. So let the, you are, I believe, and I'll have to check my facts, I think the third <laughs> People's Liberty grantee. Oh, my God. Uh, to be on the show. It Dustin seems like if the there's shoulders. any. There you go, right? If there's any reliable way to get on this, it seems to be a, to get a People's Liberty grant. And you and your grantee partner, mm-hmm. Noah, have created yeah. this, this place. Yes. We will put, let me just start right off by saying that listening to this interview is probably as much as any of our episodes, it's going to be so necessary that if you're listening, you go to the website and look at the pictures that Kyle is taking right now, mm-hmm. because this space that we are in is all about the conversation that we're going to have and what you and Noah, and you're blinded because the sunshine <laughs> is coming through the window behind me. Um, but this space is amazing. So uh, there's a whole a whole discussion we're going to get into about you and your background and your focus areas. But let's start off by just talking about what is Digital Playscape? What is the place that we're in right now? Describe this space for us and maybe describe that original idea um, behind the proposal, the grant that you got, and what happens in this space. All right. So just small talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> So the Digital Playscape is a free, immersive learning space Mm -hmm. that invokes science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics, STEAM learning. Mm -hmm. And this space came to be um, with this dream that Noah and I both shared. Um, We're in a PhD program at University of Cincinnati. We're in different programs, but under the umbrella of the education school. Okay. And we were taking classes together and we were chatting about what would it be like to have a community school or center or space where people just came and learned together through play and created and made. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, and I also came from this frustration as um, educators of just not having resources. And I am a practicing teacher and Every week I go to the dollar store to get materials. I know we talked about that. Um, And I was just frustrated that I couldn't get access to this technology. And I wanted to have a space where we could get access to technology and we could open it up for everyone. And um, adults could come and also learn how to code and program and play and create. And a space for adults to be kids and kids to be kids. And you just come and make. Yeah. And that was the that was the vision. And we um, wrote the grant and got it. Some, <laughs> and, like, yeah. some, somehow got that somehow grant. Somehow got that grant. And and then it we had two weeks to transform the space. Wow. And I um, so Noah um, Glazer, he is the ed tech guru. Okay. He um, is able to do all the coding and the fun virtual reality that we do in the space. And I support in the curating of the activities and also the design of the space. Okay. So we had two weeks and I'm sitting here in this space, white walls alone, just how am I going to design a space that embodies the aesthetics of joy and play? Yeah. And, and which is that, and, 
um, the sensation of joy and play is the act of joy. Hmm. And I wanted a space that embodied that. And I'm sitting around in white walls, um, just alone in the space. Uh, and I take out a sheet of paper and I begin drawing the murals, this hmm. first mural that, you know, hmm. that's where that's right behind be- us right now. Yeah. Right beside us. And, uh, and when that mural, came up. I, you know, taped it up with a lot of um, frog tape and uh, threw on the paint. And the doors were open. uh, And when people were walking by, you know, come in, come in, grab a paintbrush, you know, and and not just help me out, but this is your space too. Like, Mm. come and make this. And and when you come back, that um, purple square that you see, you made that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and when that mural came up, all of a sudden the walls um, started to talk to me. It might have been the paint fumes, but <laughs> you know, um, the walls started to talk, and and the space came to life, and it became um, a space where I could see the joy and I could see the play, mm. and how uh, kind of the flow of the space is you. You walk in, even before you walk in, there's hopscotch on the sidewalk. Right. There are um, giant tubs of, for bubble making. Um, and um, there's a rock and sock and robot outside. Well, and I stopped and- by, Was it, <laughs> it wasn't last weekend, it was the weekend before, yeah. to talk to you about uh, setting up this recording. And you were outside throwing paint. <laughs> On the sidewalk. That was the first. I came around the corner. I said, I don't know how I'm going to necessarily recognize. Oh, there she is. She's the one throwing paint on the sidewalk. And you were such a good sport because I had paint on my hands. And I'm like, do you mind? You know, because you were about to shake hands. That's all part of it. And you were like, yeah, yeah, all right. Um, And yeah, so when you come into the, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts of being in the space because I think I have a a real, my perspective is just real saturated in this space. I'd love to hear you also like coming into the space. um, But I will share like about the different um, items we have. Well, well, let me say right now, I just, it it (laughs) is, I think 12 year old me, 13 year old me, this is the playground. Yes. This is, this is what it is more so than the (laughs) playground, you know, the outside playground, because you've got, the computer monitors, I mean, you got eight or nine computer monitors on the wall. You got an entire wall of vertical Legos. And the idea that you could just come in here, there's, there's yeah. confetti all over the floor. Yes. It, is, it is joyous <laughs> chaos. Yes. And I think for a kid who's interested in these areas at all, it just has to feel like that playground. Mm-hmm. It feels wonderful. So uh, the space Good. that you created, it's hard to believe the last interview that I did was with Mellis, who was the previous grantee, and she had the Ryu Coffee House in yep. here. Oh, and so the idea different. that this is even the same space <laughs> yeah. is amazing uh, <laughs> because it's just a riot of color and joy mm-hmm. and activity in here, even when there's nobody in here like there is now. It still is just a space that's filled with joy. You guys have oh, done a really, you. a really wonderful thing thank here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly what we sought out to achieve is that is mm-hmm. that playground that playscape that area where people can just come and play and make together and i think that has been um that has been the most joyous thing to see yeah, yeah. Uh, is how 
people just of all walks of life have come and use the space. Yeah. And I loved, so we have um, a game station that has all these monitors uh, and you can come and learn how to program and code and then behind the scenes of video games. And then you get to actually play video games cool. too. Yeah, And that has been so neat to see just um, kids and adults, um, strangers that then come and play and they take a controller and they're both in a game space and um, creating in Minecraft or various things together. And and they leave knowing each other. And and so that um, to me is showing kind of the power of space and place um, when when it's just designed to invoke that. You know, it's interesting that not to interrupt you, it's funny, oh. I hadn't even put this together because referencing back to the coffee house that was in this space mm. before, mm-hmm. what was special about that was that it was this place where if you didn't know what you were coming into, you were, you were invited into this experience that created community in a way that you didn't have your guard up for mm-hmm. it. It connected people. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same thing. It is, yeah. What you're describing is exactly, it looks like yeah. it couldn't be more different Mm-hmm. It's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But the same. But it's exactly the same purpose, which yeah. is building community and building relationships exactly. and drawing people in around the things that connect them and that they're passionate about, which is a really interesting idea. Exactly. And that's your, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the, <laughs> the little bit of conversation that we had before we started recording. Yeah. That sounds to me like that's one of your elements is there. It's easy to think about. And forgive me, do you say STEM or STEAM? I say STEAM. You okay. have to have the arts. Okay. Yeah. To oh, so the, the, the A is so. Yeah. It's really easy to think about that as something, if you're not in that field, that might mm-hmm. not be connecting, that might be purely cerebral. Mm-hmm. But it sounds to me like community and connection is central. It is. To the whole field for it you is. and the work that you do. It is. I... Uh, I believe in the power of people coming together mm. and creating and making. And I, I absolutely, I love um, that kind of work where you just can be human to human and sit around and um, work on really tricky, hard, messy issues. Mm-hmm. And, and it starts with people coming together and that relational space that you create. Mm-hmm for social change. And that is what draws me. That's what my wonder, my curiosity, uh, everything that in me kind of just is drawn to Mm. that. It's just how do people come together and uh, work together and create change together and and creating spaces that help create that. You know, so whether it's the aesthetics of joy or the aesthetics of play and spaces like the digital playscape or a classroom or, you know, wherever, that's, that's what's driving yeah. me. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed um, even coming today to do this interview this morning that we were going to talk about social change. Oh, yeah, um, we are. Oh, and, and I love it because yeah. so many of these conversations <laughs> end up being about social change. And I Got feel like to. it's me grinding my own axe, but it's no, not. It's, um, it's, I think it's on, I think um, right now it's on a, um, I'm hearing it, if it's just the circle that I'm in, it's just that is what we're trying to figure out, is how to create that space for social change. And what does it mean to socially change? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, so the program that I've, my doctoral work, 
is focused in social change, but it's action research, which is the kind of research where you and I am having so much light You're going blinded out right eyes. now. We'll get you some sunglasses. Oh <laughs> um, no, I just love it. Um, and um, so, action research is the kind of research. Uh, where you identify an issue in your practice, in your community, in your whatever setting, school, organization, and you work to address that need. Okay. And you design an action plan around that. And so my training is in that, is to uh, work with people either within my practice or actually in my setting to identify a need, research that need, and then de- develop an action plan to address that need and watch it, kind of the iterative hmm. cycle mm-hmm. of how that change um, progresses and what you are learning and reflecting from, from what you're learning. And that is, and so I'm in this kind of um, churning iterative cycle of social change right now, okay. just either in this space or in my classroom practice as a teacher or supporting um, educators and designing spaces um, that invoke whatever um, sensation that they're trying to create in their classroom, um, whether it's joy or play mm-hmm. or a maker space of some sort. So let's talk your, your PhD candidate at UC, as, yes. as you had mentioned, is that your, do you have also a, a day job that is, <laughs> that's your nine to five, so to speak? What else is going on in this area in your life? Yeah, I, um, so I'm a second grade Hebrew teacher. Mm-hmm. I am the director of curriculum and evaluation for Breakthrough Cincinnati. And so I write curriculum for sixth through ninth grade, uh, integrated science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics curriculum. I also um, support um, current educators and do professional development. So I travel every so often to Chicago and support um, an organization that provides uh, professional development. And, And then I will kind of jump on to various different community projects. uh, that may they might need someone to help um, train youth to be researchers mm-hmm. um, in a community issue. And so I do a lot of work with um, a type of method called photo voice, where you equip people with cameras mm-hmm. and you ask them to document their everyday realities. And then you come together and you talk about the photographs okay. and you use the, the photographs as a catalyst for the conversation, for the real deep, vulnerable conversation about the issues that are happening in their community. And then you design uh, as some sort of action plan around that on how you're going to address that. So I hop around a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, just the normal, just the normal everyday <laughs> STEM reacher slash community social change activist That's slash totally... second grade Hebrew teacher. Can I get that on my business card? <laughs> can you just, can we capture that? Yeah. <laughs> That's just your everyday. Yeah. Who are you? Where, like, <laughs> Where did this, so I have to go back and do some origin story here. (laughs) Where does all of this come from? Uh, And you don't have to tell the whole story, but like where, where to, where does the impetus for all of these different interests and urges come from? Oh my gosh. Well, two places kind of shifted, had major shifts in my, um, outlook as an educator, as an activist, as someone who is really curious of space mm-hmm. and our space within place and all. Um, so one was on a cotton field in North Carolina 
And the other was here in Cincinnati. Um, so tell the stories. I'm going to tell the story. Yeah. So I, uh, I went um, to Indiana University for undergrad. Mm-hmm. I. Where are you from originally? I. Oh, what please? There's a story there. Oh my God! There's a, well, I traveled around. I have uh, got roots in California. Okay. I have roots in Indiana. All right. Um, so. I hopped around. The decision to go to IU, was that a, a going away was, from home decision or was that was a staying a close stay to home? It was a stay close to home because okay. I had traveled a lot as a youth. I bounced back and forth um, from California to Indiana. Okay. I lived in California for a good sprint of my life. And by the time I, I was making a decision for where I was going to go to college, I really wanted to just stay in one place for hmm. four years mm-hmm. and just really root myself. And uh, I did. And it felt like a, a new place. It didn't, it didn't feel necessarily well, like I was going home. Yeah, I feel like it's important uh, as a Westerner, as a person who's not from this part of the country, I feel like oh. it's important, and you can tell me if this is accurate, mm-hmm. to create some context for people around what IU is. Because it's yeah. a real interesting, special space. Oh, Bloomington? Yeah. Or, Bloomington, uh, Indiana. Tell, I, where, where, are you, where are you going with this? <laughs> well, just that it's a it's a strange little Midwestern town just south it of Indianapolis is. that you think is going to be this sleepy little burg. And no, in fact, it's this hotbed of progressive activity. And it IU is. in particular, I, mm-hmm. I knew Indiana only because I was a basketball fan in, oh, in yeah. high school. And yeah. I think it's what a lot of people know is mm-hmm. Indiana is basketball. Indiana University is one of the most progressive mainstream, you know, universities oh, yeah. in the United States. It's one of the places where you can, um, within a, within a, an otherwise fully accredited and recognized program, create yeah. an entire, as an undergrad, create, create an your entire own major. independent course of study yes. and create your own you, major. I have a friend who, um, uh, studied to be a magician Yeah. at Indiana. And what he did is he crafted it with, um, psychology and, uh, he took some neuroscience courses and religious study courses. Yeah, and it's not going to be hippy dippy. Like no, it's going to be uh, no, it's, academically rigorous. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's that a wonderful me. school. So I just feel like for people that don't know that that's what IU is. When you say you're you're even if you're staying close to home, yeah. you're, you're IU going in to Bloomington is this is this strange thing. It is a strange, that's lovely magical and wonderful thing. It is. If you've never it been is. So that makes sense to me that the decision to stay close to home also is still a decision to drop into this yeah. really unique environment. Oh yeah. So yes. So carry on. Thank Sorry. You. I'm going to interrupt your story there for a no, second. No, I love that. Um, and it does, it really helps um, um, set the context for mm. being in that space. And so I am at IU and I decide to major in political science, okay. not education. Um, and I think I'll, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, mm-hmm. but I wanted to study political science. And the reason was I had, I, th- I think at the time, um, a lot of hubris. I thought that I could be you a really- You were gonna change the world? I thought I could change the world. I thought um, I could be a really good teacher. Like I didn't need to go oh, to education. I've got the teaching down, so I'm going to develop my secondary area. Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. Gotcha. And so I and I um, 
I was really attracted to political science because I wanted to study social change. Mm -hmm. I wanted to study how people come together and work on uh, messy, complicated problems. Uh, what motivates people to even start that questioning. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really curious with that. And I really wanted to practice my listening skills. So the feminist theory coming mm -hmm. forth um, with that. And, and so I studied political science. And uh, I also studied African linguistics. Like I just opened myself like up do. to just, yeah, like you just like normal. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, when you're in college. Uh, <laughs> And I, um, I then it was time to graduate and I applied to teach for America and got into the core and was placed in rural North Carolina, uh, teaching special education, severe and profound students with cognitive and physical, uh, impairments. Talk a little bit. Teach for America is an organization that places teachers Yes, recently graduated um, teachers with or without an education background mm -hmm. in urban and rural settings. Okay. And they provide um, placement and some support and mentoring through mm -hmm. um, two years of okay. service. Yep. Uh, and it's under the umbrella of AmeriCorps, so it's a government yep. funded. Um, and is there, uh, this isn't relevant to your story, is, uh, is it uh, a lot of those are types of organizations have sort of an educational uh, reimbursement or debt forgiveness um, element. Some do. To that. Some do. It it, it really depends um, with, within where you get placed. Gotcha. Um, what is happening with AmeriCorps funding? Um, you tend to get more money when there's Democrats yep. in office. Right. Less money when Republicans. So it, it, that's kind of gotcha. So you hard answer. I'm interrupting your story. <laughs> so you got placed in North Carolina. I did. I, I got placed in North Carolina. Went from political science, no education background, to then being the first ever teacher for um, 10 students with severe cognitive and physical um, impairments. Wow. And So not only not a strict educational background, but certainly not a strict special educational no. background. Uh, yeah. So I had, I ha yeah. So I, uh, and I arrive, um, to the school, and I remember coming before the students had arrived, I mean, this is like a week or so before, to see my classroom, and my classroom is completely bare. It's just this mm. empty space. Um, and I mean, it, it is empty. I mean, there are no um, pens or paper or resources. And I'm like, how, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, my kids are about to arrive mm -hmm. and one, I don't even know how I'm going to teach um, them at all. And I, I don't have the resources in this classroom, you know? So the first thing is hit up the dollar store, start kind of getting what I can, asking for family to donate mm -hmm. um, books or um, notebooks and pencils um, to my classroom. So at least I have something for when they arrive. Uh, and when they came, um, it was quickly made apparent that um, from professional development that the um, district had and various things that um, the students had only um, really colored all day or napped all day. So um, it wasn't a place really that was seen as um, learning. Yeah, it wasn't um, an educational environment. It, it wasn't was an, filling the 
time. It, exactly. It was filling the time. And, and this was the forgotten classroom. Yeah, yeah. The, and, where and, we put the kids that we don't know what to do with. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so. Where, where was this in North Carolina? This was in um, Halifax County. North Carolina. Where is that relative that is, to like, um, the major population areas? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. You don't know Halifax County? <laughs> Sorry. You don't know these? They I don't used know to have really the counties North of North Carolina, Carolina memorized, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a few years. Um, it's right on the um, Virginia border. Okay. Um, North? East. Okay. Coast. Uh, so about an hour or so outside of Raleigh yep. and an hour or so outside of Richmond, um, okay. Virginia. Gotcha. Okay. And I, and also my students um, had negative coping um, mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, come on, they're in this space where um, it's not a learning environment. Yeah. It's not, a, and they're um, just given crayons and coloring sheets and cots for them to, to sleep on. And, and so their their coping mechanisms um, were ripping out their hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a student rip out her hair and then stuff it in her mouth to throw up. Um, throwing feces, um, uh, kicking, um, biting, throwing tables, and I'm just, just wanting to be noticed. Just, just wanting, wanting yeah, just to wanting attention. to be seen. Yeah. And um, I know we, we spoke a little bit about this. Of um, I grew up um, Quaker in a um, Quaker home of just um, silence mm-hmm. and meditation and reflection. And, and most of my students um, were nonverbal. And, and so I'm just, I'm just trying to ground myself in this, this chaos that overwhelmed my every sense, mm-hmm. you know, just to watch my students and to hold ground um, and just to to see to see them for who they are, oh! But it was it was um, intense and it was hard work. And, um, and I mean, good lord, you're what twenty three, twenty four years old? No, no, I'm I'm twenty one. Yeah, um, you're straight. I mean, out not of that twenty four, but I'm. I mean, uh, even I mean, I just graduated, yeah, and yeah. and all the all the. Um, our world is your oyster. Yeah, yeah. Like you're gonna go change the world. Here we go. This kind of this is um, how you do it. Yeah, I know. And trying to um, suppress a little bit of the white savior trope of mm-hmm. that I, you know, I'm right. a white person. And I'm going to save these poor black kids yeah. in North Carolina. That kind of, you know, uh, like that. Um, I think trying to shift it and really find the empathy and the compassion and uh, what is the space that we're trying to create. And so in this setting, and I, when I was an undergrad, I was a grant writer. So I was writing um, mm-hmm. grants. I learned how to write grants. So that was my instinct. I was like, I need to get these resources. Yeah. And so I wrote for iPads. I wrote for um, a touch talk technology and adapted furniture mm. and, um, getting a full library and um, rugs and just comfy things that could make us make it feel like a home and not cement floor and cement walls, you know, just that, bring that. And so uh, I did, I I started getting these resources and then reaching out to the community. So there's more community partnership and finding ways to do after school tutoring and GED tutoring for the parents and um, finding ways where I was seen and present also in the community and that it was holding ground, that it was going to, to yeah. stay. 
because I, I, I was in it, even though I, I um, didn't have the special education background, I was in it and I was starting to fall in love with my kids. Mm-hmm. Like I was just starting to really see their, their wonderful light coming, coming through. And, um, and so while I got these um, technology and I was um, in this space, it was amazing to hand off the Touch Talk um, iPad apps to them and they could start communicating right. and speaking and they had ways of sharing. You know, they could be seen. They could yeah. start to, to talk and communicate. And, and it shifted. The negative coping mechanism started to t- turn into positive where they um, were able to communicate their feelings and the classroom space uh, just, just transformed into um, not this uh, space of me trying to hold the walls together, of trying to um, uh, uh, hold back, you know, a chair being thrown at me. It was rather just the space that we could come and learn and um, sit on our, our rug together in our learning space and our reading space and, and be, be with each other and be seen. Um, and so from, oh, and so then kind of at the time our school was on the verge of closing. And, and so then um, when we got the news that our school was probably going to close, that we might have one more year, it was just this painful, painful. Um, You've uh, done all this work. All this work. And my kids were achieving. Some of them didn't need to be in special education. And so they were being transitioned out. Um, and that's a whole other story of why they were even put in to the classroom. And then others who were nonverbal were starting to become verbal and all this work. And then to, to just kind of have the realization that I, we're going to be dispersed. Mm -hmm. We're going to be, our family is going to be broken up. Um, and so, um, that, then um, oh, it was just this devastating pain of just what do I do next? Where am I going to go? How am I going to um, recover from this? Um, and so I decide um, to, to go to Israel um, and, and take a teaching position um, in Israel. So it's a, just a second because, <laughs> because the... The Michelle Pfeiffer movie that you were just describing yeah. doesn't end with it actually ending. It ends with, you know, the, the crescendo of the movie is somebody comes in and swoops in and saves it. And I'm joking around because that sounds, it sounds oh, like this God. is a movie that, that, again, that has already that, been made. But it does, not, it ends. No, it, it doesn't end. It's, there's not a happy ending there. They, there's not. No. I mean, there is, there isn't a, um, to some degree. There is, because I've stayed in touch with, Mm -hmm. um, I just grew so close with the families. uh, And we stay in touch on Facebook Mm -hmm. and texting, and I visit. uh, And and now we can FaceTime and do all these things. And so um, it didn't really end. And I can hear now, I mean, now they're in high school and some have graduated. And the work that you did carries on. uh, Well, the work that they did. I mean, really it was, um, I'm talking about the materials that I I helped provide in the space, but um, this was a students teaching students model. I Mm. mean, this was teachers are learners and learners are teachers, Mm. that kind of frame. Um, And it, it didn't, 
they taught me, I taught them. That was kind of, and they really, they put in the hard work because they're the ones that uh, were trying so hard to use that touch talk technology yeah. and to and develop um, their words. So, so well, I, I interrupted your story. I feel like no, it's important to sort of draw, it, draw the line there. It did. Well, the thing it was, I had the choice of, do I stay in this, um, in this district, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm not going to be able to teach my students, but I'll teach, keep teaching mm-hmm. students. Um, and I realized that, um, even though I had built a, like a safe haven and we co-built it, I, um, the, the pressure of the district mm-hmm. um, for um, standardized testing mm-hmm. and the amount of money that went into buying like resources and just this weight that wasn't the kids. It wasn't the kids that um, was burning me out. Yeah. It, was, it was just the infrastructure. The structure the that you're having to resist in order to do the work. Exactly. And my arms were tired and my body was tired. I was going, driving home late at night, 11 p.m., mm-hmm. you know, some nights and just feeling um, just like physically and emotionally just exhausted. Yeah. And, and that was, that was the decision that, um, knowing that my school was going to close, that I don't know if I could continue to, to do this again, Mm -hmm. um, in this, in this kind of way and where I, I, I had to be my own cheerleader to some degree, um, because this was the thought of transforming special education in this way Mm -hmm. was really not a mindset and starting over at zero in some new school and some mm-hmm. new program with a different, like with the same mindset mm-hmm. of, um, the kids can nap and color all day Yeah, yeah. and, and having to, to, um, challenge that. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I needed, um, I just, I needed to leave Okay. and I made that decision and I went to Israel, um, for a bit, um, to just to, to decompress what I thought was to decompress but then the conflict broke out in Gaza mm-hmm. in 2014. Um, so it was... So it's not like it a shif- general decompression <laughs> vacation spot. No, <laughs> it shifted to then teaching um, in a bomb shelter, in a, a mamad. Um, we were doing drills and we were in the spaces. And, and I was um, teaching in these bomb shelters or having to kind of teach. I don't even know if it was teaching or what it was. Um, and I remember looking around in the space in the, in the bomb shelter and there are murals all around that were these joyous murals of kids skipping rope and just these bright flowers, um, painted and, and how the kids were just playing in patty cake and, um, you know, singing to Justin Bieber and like, just like <laughs> doing all the like dance moves in this space that didn't look scary mm-hmm. when, you know, very scary things are happening above yeah. us, um, or potentially above us, um, that in this space, um, the kids were, were feeling this sense of joy and it was this wild juxtaposition of, um, not being familiar at being in a state of war, mm-hmm. um, and what that feels like. And that is their normal, um, to, to be in, in this teaching the bomb shelter. Um, uh, and, and so after kind of my, my time teaching, it was just a short term, um, teaching just a couple uh, months. I, I then, um, applied for, 
um, the program here at University of Cincinnati okay. to come and the master's program my master's program in social change, um, education for social change. And I uh, had a teaching position at Arlet Preschool, which is affiliated yep. um, with UC. And, and at Arlet, they're Reggio Emilia inspired space. And which means um, Reggio Emilia is a progressive uh, kind of education where um, the teacher is seen as more of the facilitator. Um, there are three teachers always in the room, the, the children, the adults, and the environment. Mm. And this idea that the environment is a third teacher just clicked mm. with, every, with being in North Carolina and being sensitive to space to... Um, being in Israel and sensitive to space of being in a bomb shelter to uh, now at this preschool where uh, every decision that the teacher makes has to come with so much intentionality. And and that um, began to shift my practice. Uh, and in that experience, um, some wild stuff happened in the classroom that just launched me into it. Okay, you can't say that and not, not at well, least tell us. Well, I got to sip my drink. <laughs> I got I to leave something like anticipation. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, so this is a huge, You. this is a decision now. Uh, it doesn't necessarily sound like going into graduate study was, was a big shift, but you have shifted back into, I want to get the tools to facilitate the work mm-hmm, that I'm already exactly. doing. I do really want to focus exactly. on getting sort of the educational grounding. Exactly. And so you come back into the master's program. Yep. Uh, was Cincinnati new to you at that point? Cincinnati was and was not. I uh, My father is a professor in visual communications, and uh, he does media ethics. And there's a conference that happened every year here in Cincinnati held at um, the Netherlands Hotel. Okay. And I would tag along starting at like 10 years old mm-hmm. to Cincinnati, but I only saw really the hotel. Yeah, the downtown and, space around that one spot. Yes, uh, and the Art Deco. So to me, Cincinnati was um, this Art Deco um, place, this epicenter. Hotel. Yeah, it is a great yeah. Hotel. It's yeah, it has the kind of the shining feel to a little bit it does. as a kid. Yeah. And that beautiful bar. Yeah. Oh yeah. The be- yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's gorgeous. And I and the palm leaves. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's amazing space. And as a kid, I was just this Baroque style yeah. was just intoxicating. Just looking at the um, gold flecks and all the mirrors. Um, so that was Cincinnati okay. to me. Uh, and when I moved. I quickly found that is not all Cincinnati. Cincinnati is really diverse and uh, beautiful pockets of these neighborhoods that are full of culture and life and uh, just, and Geta. What was Geta? (laughs) Nobody knows what Geta is. Like, what is Geta? And so I... um, Google it. We're not going to spend time. (laughs) Just look it up. It's a breakfast food. (laughs) We won't spend time here. (laughs) G-O-E-T-T-A. It's your homework, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I I came to Cincinnati, and I was at Arlet Preschool, and uh, okay, so I come to Arlet now, not having to worry about a budget. Mm-hmm. 
having the resources of a yeah major university. Oh yes, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't. I you know, oh my gosh, I I'm I'm even like feeling the um, uh, excitement of just um, being given um, this uh, large fund of just design a classroom space yeah, yeah. and the, um and the lead teacher um Jen and I uh we we constructed um a classroom space and I would say I want to say it again we constructed a classroom space like we were thinking of every material needed following the regomelia oh it needs to be aesthetically pleasing it needs to kind of look like a home lots of plants mm. and be really this comfortable environment we sewed um pillows after pillows uh and uh we transformed the space into this oh Beautiful. It was a beautiful classroom. And one of the things in it was this um, tent. I was Pinteresting up a storm. <laughs> and I was, ooh, I was like Googling and I saw a tent. I'm like, we have to have a tent. And I went to her, I was like, Jin, 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 please, 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 can we make a tent? Uh, uh, because I, to protect the introverts. And yeah, it's yeah. a cute little, you know, um, cozy sweet, space. Cozy little space, yeah. And, uh, and so did, to, to Jen, you know, we're talking when we were like, okay, well, here is what we need. We need to make maybe a triangle tent that can only fit two bodies. Uh Behavior management, you know, like like a lot of kids in a space, it could. No point in having the tent if there's six kids in it. Well, yeah. And it it could be, you know, um, chaotic. And uh, and we didn't want to lift the tent. I'm like, okay, kids, get out. No, we Uh just wanted two kids. And we wanted to select a fabric that was... um, Thin enough that we can see in to do our uh, counting, how many kids might be in it. Because we always, um, as a preschool teacher, constantly, or just as a teacher, constantly counting kids in the room. Yeah. And, uh, and but dark enough that it gave the illusion of this, like, cozy space. Okay. So, built this tent. And I was so, so excited because I got these <laughs> sticks. I went to Joanne Fabrics. I'm buying all the fab. And I, uh, I'm super gluing the, the fabric onto the tent. Uh, and it was just, oh, so cute. And it was just, like. Um, tan colored fabric that just fit with the aesthetic of the place is beautiful. Mwah. Okay, so <laughs> flash forward to also this interest in my master's work of wanting to study the environment as a third teacher. Yep. So I uh, inc- uh, put cameras uh, in the classroom, just like Nikon cameras in a basket in the classroom um, where kids could just grab mm-hmm. them and begin taking um, photographs of their space. And and then we printed out the photographs and then in our meeting time um, with the kids, sat down and talked about their photographs. Mm. And the number one thing that they took photographs was um, the tent. And I was like, yes, the tent <laughs> is so it's a hit and they're sitting around and we're sitting around in meeting time and I have the pictures laid out and they're talking about uh the tent and they're saying things it's too dark it's too cramped there uh we want to take our shoes off in this space and uh they're just critiquing this tent and my I'm holding my heart you know uh, together I'm like oh wow oh wow you know, listening to them, surprised that it, they, this tent was not a positive experience, you know, uh, but they liked the concept of the tent. And so I said, well, what, uh, um, so after, you know, okay, it's, it's too dark, it's too small, um, it's too cramped, 
uh, what else? And they're like, well, why would we have a tent inside anyway? Like, that doesn't even make sense. I'm like, okay, yeah, right. We don't camp inside. You're right. Um, I go, well, what should we have? And uh, they said, we should have a bird's nest because you are a mama bird. You know, they're pointing to, to Jen and I. And we're like, yeah, that makes so much more sense than a tent inside. We're, it's a bird's nest, of course. Inside. inside um, we are. And, and so... I said, well, I've never made a bird's nest before. So how do I make a bird's nest? And uh, so we walked into this kind of warehouse of, there's this room in Arlet that is just a warehouse of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's all organized real nicely, which is beautiful. And you walk in and I said, well, what do we need? And and they start grabbing fabric and grabbing um, uh, these cardboard poles and and tape and various things. And we just load up bags and bags of stuff. And we walk back and we begin constructing um, our bird's nest. And it is phenomenal. And what was created, I mean, through mess and challenge, there were a lot of conflicts and crying. Um, there were a lot of me going in the back, um, like eating chocolate, like ferociously, <laughs> like trying, like, oh my gosh, can I, because, like, you know, inviting the chaos. And uh, and the kids uh, end up building what looked like almost like this, it was a bird's nest to them, but it looked maybe would look like uh, like a Bedouin tent mm-hmm. of just this colorful display of wow. um, drapery, of fabric, and every color of the rainbow tape wrapped around these poles. So just bright and vivid and so much color. And it was big. You know, it could fit like uh, six to ten kids inside, and they made rules. They made a whole uh, list of rules of you take off your shoes, you can't have toys in the space, this is only a reading space. And these are and three to five year two olds? Two to five year two olds. Two to five year olds. Two to five year olds. And they transformed space. And so then, after that was, cre- after the, the bird's nest was created, uh, we went back, you know, in the cameras and we were in photographs and talking about space. Um, and they're like, we don't have a movie theater and we need a movie theater. <laughs> like, that's like, we like, you really mo- like I know, I know. So Birds it was nest, like, I don't know how to theater. build a movie theater either. I love going to the movies, but I don't know how to do How do you do that? And so and it, then all of a sudden the space that was so in, uh, carefully, intentionally created by um, Jen and myself uh, shifted. It mm-hmm. became this co-created space where we had a cake machine. We had a. Mo- Are you jealous? I know, right? I know, like I this a is cake uh, yeah, a cake machine, uh, and uh, it transformed. And that power of when you work together and you co-create space uh, shifted my practice and really was this driving force of then now where I am um, in my practice as an educator is supporting um, current educators of how do we co-create these kinds of spaces that uh, really give you that sensation of joy and play and want encourage you to make inspire you to make Um, so that's the digital playscape uh, is founded from that kind of very principle. That's amazing. It seems to me, um, is this a controversial idea? Because it seems like typically the theory to creating spaces, especially in a preschool environment, would be, God, no, you can't let the kids oh, yeah. 
make their own space. They don't know what they need. They don't know what they want. Yeah. We have to create the space for them to facilitate the kind of They're just two to five we want. Yeah. Why would you listen to yeah. them? Mm-hmm. That seems like a, f- a, a fundamentally challenging idea. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and one that might give some people hives. Oh, yeah. Um, and not just because going through the process is a process of absorbing and processing nothing but chaos. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a two-year-old, so... So, <laughs> so you know. Yeah, so, the, you know, there is, this, there is this constant dynamic, shifting dynamic between being in the chaos and participating mm-hmm. in it and being able to place yourself there and be okay with it and then mm-hmm. wanting, wanting to hold it in, it in a sense of protecting it from other things mm-hmm. and just bringing it into some sense of what actually feels logical as an mm-hmm. adult rather than just letting it go and develop. And as a teacher... Uh, number one, that does sound like a philosophically challenging, uh, an idea that might challenge a lot of the education that a lot of teachers have brought into this space. Mm-hmm. And then number two, a personally challenging, depending on who's looking over your shoulder mm-hmm. at your space and looking at whatever results you're being held to for outcomes in the program, which I know is a word with capital letters in it. Something that is that is much more challenging than just saying we act- we let the kids design a, a bird's nest. There's a, a, a lot of assumptions are being challenged in that. Oh, oh yes. Uh, a lot of assumptions. Uh, oh yeah. And, and it brought with it a lot of critique of yeah. how do you teach? And I, I mean, I was in this bubble of uh, Reggio Emilia school that took to this approach. It's a lab school mm-hmm. and we were being observed um, all the time in the yeah. space, uh, but it came with the culture and with yeah. the kind of this was this is the norm. We do this. We create this. This is how you know this was inviting. Um, I still think that there were challenges within the school of um, some teachers wanting centers and wanting that you know that yeah. space you know um, kind of blocked off areas and and a challenge to to overturn. But I still think within that school, it was uh, really accepted and celebrated. Mm. Uh, stepping out and the work that I do outside uh, in professional development, it is, it's hard, I've, I've found, um, to, to get teachers with me. I mean, I yeah. know my people when I meet my people yeah, and I yeah. start talking and they light up and they're like, oh, I've never tried that, but I really want to try that. How do I do a maker space? What do I need to do? Like, uh, how do I, you know, get these resources? What do you recommend? How would I design the space? I mean, those, I, the, my people, and then I meet other educators that are uh, like, I, I don't think this could work. This couldn't work with my kids. Like yeah. if you met my it, kids. It worked for you, but. Yeah, it worked for you because you, you know, you you know how to do that, but you haven't met my kids. And if mm-hmm. you met my kids, um, you would know, like they they wouldn't last one second, like, yeah, you know, yeah. sitting there. You know, yeah. they would want to just um, run around or um, settle an argument with a dance fight. And like, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, and I'm like, well, you know. That sounds fun. Uh, that sounds fun. I mean, we need to do the, the like social emotional skills. I get you. I get you. I hear you. But um, you know, dance dance parties are fine. Uh, but I so it has been um, an interesting, uh, and this is where I'm growing my practice now. Of I know these tensions because I felt the tensions, but now I'm I'm in this place of working with educators and trying to trying to find a way where um, I can 
I can support. And, and what does support look like mm-hmm. for them? And maybe it's not winning them over in this like mind shift mm-hmm. that, oh, it's, we're, we're gonna, their room is going to turn into a bird's nest and a cake machine and a movie theater <laughs> like tomorrow. Um, it's, it's more what are the foundational skills uh, of this kind of work? How do you really create this space? And what are some of the design elements um, that can be really basic, that can mm-hmm. just be applied? What happens when you just rearrange markers by color hmm. in different containers? Mm-hmm. What happens when you do that? Um, what happens when you allow 20 minutes of time at the end of class where kids can just make whatever they want a project? What happens when you get a camera and you just have it in your classroom and you start um, talking about their pictures. What are just the little basic things that we can do um, that can start to shift practice? And I'm watching it shift. Hmm. And, I'm wa- and, I'm, and I've been working with um, some teachers for two, three, four years in their practice. And these little tiny steps that they're taking are now starting to um, become big, big steps, big foundational steps of um, shifts in their practice Mm -hmm. and being able to start to release um, control of it and allow more um, democratic voice to come through. Seen that. It's interesting. Uh, my I don't have an educational background. My educational background goes so far. We as all my, have an educational. Well, background. right. I was going to say as I my mean, involvement. We're in, getting real particular political science. Come yeah, on, like right, exactly. But uh, I I have been uh, at various points attached to uh, the Waldorf educational philosophy. Oh yeah. I have a 17 year old as well who attended the Waldorf school here in Cincinnati. Oh, wow. And it's interesting when you that, talk about. Oh, so I, I love that, and, yeah. and was on the board at that school, and was really involved there, and did a lot of re, uh, of reading oh about gosh. that Steiner's philosophy and all oh, of that good oh, stuff. Whoa! And that's a deep well. Whoa! The bird's nest idea. It's interesting because very often it seems like STEM and or STEAM educational philosophies find themselves somewhat at odds with nature based philosophies. And I don't know if that's actually true or if that's just Say a, more about that. What do you mean? Well, the your I generally see people talking about educational philosophy philosophies that are based on and use technology and educational philosophies mm. that are oh. based on and use nature. Yeah. Um and and never the two shall meet. Yeah. The nature people don't want to have screens in the classroom. Yeah. And don't want to have interactive touch devices until a certain age. And the mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is true, but I think the the inverse would be that the that the technology people uh, sometimes perhaps get accused of not paying attention enough attention to nature and the space. And yeah. um, the bird's nest in the classroom idea is sort of this both. Mm-hmm. Idea. It's bringing nature, uh, a natural element, into the classroom and creating it. In your sense and in your experience, is there a divide between the two? And how do you think about um, the role of nature and technology and their relationship in education in this way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This has been on my mind uh, quite a bit, um, especially with within this uh, creating digital playscape. Uh, and and teaching at Arlet because Arlet is really low tech mm-hmm. space, uh, and I think for my practice to create that bird's nest, the photography was necessity because talking to the kids and just doing kind of a, a survey might not 
have yielded kind of the results. Asking them to draw pictures might mm-hmm. not ha- have yielded. It, their use of the tech, of the digital cameras, helped tell their story mm-hmm. because they could document it. They could actually go in and take pictures of the darkness mm-hmm. and capture that. Mm-hmm. And, and we could... Um, level the playing field in terms of communication oh, and coming around. Yeah. So I, I saw it, and as and, and for that creation as a necessity mm-hmm. to create that because it it was just it was the story. It just is the part of the, the story of the evolution to that. So the technology wasn't the point. The technology was facilitating the communication that got to the point of what they were trying to accomplish. Exactly, and yeah. I think when we're thinking of where we're headed with um, tech and screens um, and and just plugged in, mm-hmm. that's, I, uh, I think that it was a driving point with a digital playscape. Do you know, how, we're going to have this tech. This isn't going away. Mm-hmm. 87% of jobs are going to be STEM focused or STEAM focused. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a booming market for it. Um, we, like there's now this push in schools to learn how to code and program in public schools. And we're, we have it, it's out there. And I think in some degrees it's, it's been out and released without much guidance and mm-hmm. support too, because it's, they're incredibly addictive mm-hmm. um, tools. And just in my own experience of just, I constantly think about refreshing my Facebook oh, yeah. and or checking. And now it's that they're, um, what's the phantom nerve? Um, experiences. Oh, I don't like, know this. I haven't heard this. Have you, have, maybe you've experienced it. If you haven't heard, um, where you feel your phone buzzing, but it's, you don't have it in your pocket. <laughs> I have experienced that. You have? I have two. Yeah, yeah, I totally. have two. Uh-huh. I have two. And well, so it's, so it's shifting. This technology wow. is even shifting how our bodies are connect, are communicating to us. Yeah. And, and that we'll experience phantom buzzing and, and, uh, and when we don't have our phone on. And that, that urgency that we need to check our phone and so I, as an educator in um, public school settings, in and out of public school settings, um, seeing kind of this push and this drive for um, tech and um, my, I myself as a teacher being handed tech with really limited professional development, just like go at it. Like, yeah. how do you do it? Um, is, isn't helpful either. Hmm. And I think... That was for me this this place um, I came to with digital playscape of well how do we really interact with this technology purposeful mm-hmm. and in this space you'll see natural materials too mm-hmm. um, I, under our table right now right, is kind to. of I was joking that it's the postmodern uh, uh, but. Fire, campfire, campfire, because yeah. <laughs> it's like deconstructed yeah. wooden blocks, and I'll bring in. Um, we have rocks and seashells in our maker space, and nuts and uh, um, sticks and various things that you can create with. And so you'll see that kind of natural place based mm-hmm. um, materials, but then also this tech, and it's really careful of mm-hmm. how the tech is being introduced. And I think um, for me. I, I don't have an answer between the, the divide of um, nature-based um, education and an, an only nature-based um, education for a certain amount of years and then introduction to tech um, or integrated um, tech you know, education. Uh, I think that for, 
for me, I don't know what, what is right and which one, but what I've bridged is how the both can communicate yeah. together. Yeah. And that, that is what I'm trying to figure out is that we can't get away from it. So then how do we use it intentionally and purposefully? Uh, and how do we use it to make things that change the world? How do we, how do we teach, um, adults and kids to interact with this kind of materials that will invoke, um, wanting, um, to inspire and create and innovate and and play and bring yeah. back play yeah. into our world and creation and so that that's that my medium that's mm-hmm. where I've tried to straddle both um, of those different philosophies that are so deep and so complex. Yeah. But yeah. So um, the digital playscape is, uh, we're here near the end of it. I wish that we could say to people that listening to this episode, you're (laughs) going to be able to come and experience it. But unfortunately, the timing is such that you're you're closing up within the next week. So people can see the photos of it. What, um, here at the end of our time, because we probably need to wrap up, what have you learned in this experience, in the digital playscape experience, and how is that going to influence what is next for you in your work? And what is next for you in your work? Yeah, wow. So digital playscape what went beyond, beyond my expectations. And I just, I didn't, I was so nervous that would people even show up and mm-hmm. come and what, how would this place um, take to the community and how can it be a really integrated and part of the community and grand opening. It wasn't, oh, it's been it was, packed. It's been packed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You saw it. Yeah. It was packed. And I, I learned um, to trust the process mm-hmm. and in this kind of work um, to trust in community and uh and also, the power of hopscotch. <laughs> <laughs> that, I love it. That it brought in, um, I, I mean, I just loved seeing adults. And it was adults that played hopscotch yeah. more than any other demographic. It was adults that uh, took to it. And uh, I had so many sweet, uh, like, senior uh, uh ladies that would come up to me and just say like back in my day like I I played this this was my favorite game and I'm so happy to see this and then they would go and do it and they would do it and they would um skip and I would see this light that would come forth and and I learned um that more of these places need to happen and be accessible and around um, our community. So even though Digital Playscape is coming to a close, it doesn't really mean that this kind of experience is ending. So we'll Mm. be traveling around um, the city in um, schools and different organizations, different um, places, and and recreating kind of this experience. And so it's going to continue. So you might just see a random hopscotch on your uh, sidewalk and you can just give it a wink because (laughs) I'm on a mission to, to put a little bit more hopscotches around. It's funny. There may be no other (laughs) immediately understandable sort of visual metaphor for play than just seeing a hopscotch. I don't know what you would call it. Grid laid out on a sidewalk. It's just an, an obvious open (laughs) invitation that Play doesn't with need me. permission. Yeah, yeah exactly. jump in. Jump in. I yeah. love that. I oh, know. Yeah. 
Well, this has been wonderful. <laughs> the space is beautiful. If you are, I said this at the beginning, if you're, if you're listening to this, um, not only check out the website for Kyle's photos to see uh, what we're in the middle of here today in the postmodern campfire at our feet, <laughs> but also links to the Digital Playscape Instagram account where you can see all the activity and the wonderful oh, yes. stuff that Allison and Noah have done together in this beautiful space. <laughs> and hearing about your story and everything that goes into it, this, this space only makes so much more sense <laughs> uh, and communicates so much more about the work that you're doing. So thank you for, for oh. the time. Thank you for sharing all of this with us and thank you for the work that you're doing. And it's really, you. really neat stuff. Thank you for having me. That's this been a was pleasure. a delight. This was joyful. Oh. Thank you. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live inside the digital Playscape installation at People's Liberty, located at 1805 Elm Street, just off Finley Market in Cincinnati's historic Over the Rhine neighborhood. Thanks so much to Allison Lester, co-creator of The Digital Playscape, for letting us see and experience the space and for sharing her story with us. The Digital Playscape may no longer exist. It closed in mid-August. But the work Allison is doing lives on, and you can see photos of our time as well as find links to the Digital Playscape Instagram account, which is honestly the best place to see all the amazing learning that happened there. And all the rest of the stuff Allison's involved in, as well as links to People's Liberty's website and social media, and to the results of five years of amazing philanthropy. It's all on our website. Sincere thanks to Megan Trishler, the staff of People's Liberty, and the Hill Foundation for all they've done for Cincinnati, and we look forward to seeing what comes next. Find links and information for all of that at thedistillerpodcast.com. And again, thanks to Allison and everyone involved with the Digital Playscape. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Logos are by Scott Ryan. Design video work by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. And of course, check out the wonderful photos of this episode by the amazing Kyle Wolf. And you can find links to her work on our website as well. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen and download every episode at thedistillerpodcast.com, where you can also find links, photos of the guests, and a map of all of our show locations. If you like what you hear, please share this episode. Tell someone about it. Follow, like, and share our posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to help us make more of these episodes, you can support The Distiller by clicking on the Become a Patron button on our website for more information. And finally, please take a second to rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. It's an immeasurable help to getting the word out. That's it from us. Until next time, I'm Brandon Dawson, and thanks for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.